Welcome to another edition of the Inside Scoop. My name is Neil Crawford. I'm your host and also the founder of Anytime Soccer Training. If you're not familiar with the Inside Scoop, it's a podcast dedicated to helping parents learn about the soccer pathways that would be available to their child if they lived in another city around the world. And this show is brought to you by Anytime Soccer Training. Anytime Soccer Training is the only training program with well over 5,000 training videos they cover all the major skill areas. Check out anytime-soccer.com to learn more about the program. You can join for absolutely free and get a lot of great free content as well. Um, and upgrades are less than a dinner for two. It's less than $5 per player per year for teams. So check out anytime-soccer.com to learn more. All right, so this is going to be a quick one. And I'm just recording this one to answer a member's question. So a user of Anytime Soccer Training posted a question in the Anytime Soccer Training Facebook group, and I'm going to try my best to answer it really quickly, or at least give my opinion. And so if you're not a member of the Facebook group, I encourage you to go to Facebook and search for Anytime Soccer Training and join the conversation. So first, let me begin by reading the question. So with this program, is there a section where kids get to learn how to get out of tight situations. My 10-year-old kid is good at footwork, but lacks when um, he needs, but he lacks when he needs to pull the ball back to get around defenses when they attack. And he says her, I'm not sure if it's a he or she, but I'm just going to read it uh, verbatim with the understanding that it's a 10-year-old child. I take her to indoors so she can work but I see other kids that are just as good at it, et cetera. I know it's giving, it's a giving talent and stuff, just looking for advice from this program. Thanks. So there was a lot there and I really appreciate the feedback and I really appreciate uh, the question because this is a common question I get in some respects. And that's what I like uh, about the group. And that's what I like about the community we're trying to build, which is parents feel comfortable asking questions, getting information, sharing ideas. So when I say it's a common question, it's not specifically like this exact scenario that's common, but it is very common for parents to witness something in the game, right? So it's a very similar pattern. I witness something in the game that my child is doing that I perceive to be a weakness. I have done an assessment of my child and I have concluded that their skill level is good. And um, and I want to find something very specific within any time soccer training to address this uh, weakness or issue I think they have in the game. And if I'm talking to parents in person at my clinic, it's the same thing, but they don't think about it as any time soccer training. They just want me to fix that very specific thing. And at the risk of discrediting a very valid uh, observation and very true observation that I don't have the vantage point of, of viewing, and also a lot of it's gonna be subjective. Let me begin by uh, taking a step back and saying, for better or worse, I have, in some capacity, seen thousands of kids, worked with hundreds of kids, and talked to hundreds, if not thousands of parents, in some capacity. And in doing that, in no way am I an expert at all. 
but um, I have observed some similar trends. And I actually put myself in this category as well. Well, the first trend I, I noticed is um, we as parents tend to overestimate our children's strengths and overestimate what we perceive to be their weaknesses. So let me say that again. As parents, look, evaluating our own children's performance, we tend to overestimate their strengths <laughs> and overestimate their weaknesses. I was just at a game yesterday and I felt like that my friend's son was by far, by far the strongest player on the pitch. Technically, uh, tech, uh, technically, tactically, I mean, I was actually impressed. I went to the game because he just recently joined the team and I thought, you know, he would be behind the other kids because I, I was imagining that he's a new team, new player to the team, whatever. And I thought he just stuck out like a light bulb. I felt he was just controlling everything. And maybe I was just looking at my friend's son because that's who I came to watch, but that was my initial impression. And my buddy, the dad, was just so, uh, he was just talking to me like, oh, I want him to do this and I want him to do that and I want him to do that. And I was just thinking to myself, whew, then, you know, if he was the, I was just thinking to myself, his son is actually killing it compared to what I was seeing with the other kids. And so that's an example of where we are. I think we can be a little bit overcritical with our children's strengths. And, and then I, again, we can be overly critical. We can be overly critical on their weaknesses. And then I often see that we assume that their positives are like really positive. So when I read that, you know, their foot skills are good, but they have this problem. My, From my experience, when I hear that, 99.999% of the time I've heard a parent say that, it's been a misdiagnosis of their skill level. And a lot of times when I hear a parent really critical on something with their child, it's a misdiagnosis of a weakness. Maybe it's not developably appropriate for that child to understand what the parent wants them to do, uh, maybe the child is seeing something on the field that the parent can't see and it it, it um, really um, impacts what they're doing. Some of this stuff just works itself out, whatever. And I'm just as guilty. So I'm trying my best through my tone not to be judgmental. I'm just telling you, when it comes to assessing our children, we normally get it wrong for a lot of reasons take that as a grain of salt if this is not your situation. The second thing is anytime soccer training is just a manifestation of a belief system I have, which is 97 to 99% of the time the child is going to be away from the team. Um, that's an opportunity. And those folks who maximize the um, opportunities they have away from the team environment tend to do the best in training. But we know this is difficult. We don't want to overwhelm them. So we have a program, a structure in place to help the child get extra touches without overwhelming them, meeting them where they are, right? It's just a it's just a tool that manifests manifest it, it's a tool that's a manifestation of my own belief system. That means the tool was never designed and will not be designed to do all things um, and solve all problems. So 
And, and there's a reason for that. Now you can use the tool and I do, and you can make tweaks to help yourself, help your child address certain issues. And I do that. And we're going to talk about that at the very end, but you can't be everything to everybody. And I explain that because when I was a parent, sorry, I am a parent, but before any time and then before I had came to this realization, I, when my younger son, older son was younger, there were a lot of things I felt like the club was not doing. And hence, with a bit of anxiety, I stepped in to try to do some of those things. And I learned a hard way that it was not helpful for him and it was not uh, helpful for me and it just wasn't a positive experience. And that led me to a list of things and I'm not gonna give the exhaustive list uh, I am going to share a podcast with you that um, can that goes into it. That led me to a list of things of things that I felt like parents should focus on, and things that parents were at a disadvantage to focusing of focusing on. So I felt like parents were at a an advantage to help the child get additional reps. Right, you live with your child, you can do that. Parents were at an advantage to help their child with aerial control. Right. Because again, in the club environment, they just don't have enough time for aerial control, uh, despite it being really important. I felt like the parent was a, a unique advantage to help the child uh, strengthen their non-dominant foot, right? Again, club land, they just don't have a time, enough time to go into that level of detail with every child. That's where you can step in and really, really help, them, even if it's just getting them to do rebounder vi videos with their non-dominant foot. I felt like uh, a parent was a, a unique advantage to help the child frame this whole youth soccer, especially the competitive side of it, in a more positive way, right? Life lessons. You're a parent. I don't have the lecture on that. But what we say, how we act, how we behave definitely impacts how our children think about it. And then I also felt like a parent was a, a unique uh, advantage, if not the only person who can help the child sort of choose the right clubs choose the right environment for themselves and help them navigate this whole youth soccer space as a matter of fact i have two children currently in youth soccer they're in different clubs because they have different personalities different needs now i always felt and on the flip side i felt like parents were at a unique disadvantage to teach their children anything that would be considered really advanced very intellectual trying to get them to picture stuff that they can't see. So I saw them do something in the game. Then next week, I'm going to talk to them about it and try to get them to picture it. I found this to be very difficult and a recipe for disaster. I found the parent to be at a unique disadvantage to garner maximum effort in a way that we would think about in a team environment because they're you're doing this stuff with them daily. So what we where we really should focus is on a high degree of consistency and definitely get them to work hard. but but maximum effort is only going to come occasionally within a session. It's best to think about it like you're taking a cycling class. How would you feel if the cycling teacher expected everybody from the time they walk in to ram it up to 180 RPMs or whatever the number? No, you got to build it up, bring it down, that kind of stuff. And I felt like that was that was important. And then um, I felt that the parent was at a unique disadvantage to motivate their child in a way that they can be motivated with external uh, motivating factors. So there's no other teammates. There's no team. The, the, 
familiarity breeds contempt. You know, you don't have this arm's length relationship with the coach. It's very difficult to motivate them in that way. What motivates them in, in a weird way is the same thing that motivates you at a job or profession, a degree of respect, autonomy, um, agree on some uh, long-term goals, let them get at it, that kind of stuff. Motivating them like, um, hey, if you push hard here, you know, this is this is what you need to work on in order to be good in the game. Ugh, that is, I have found that's, a, again, a recipe for disaster. They don't get motivated in that way from us. And then finally, I and this is very important, I felt like uh, parents were at a unique disadvantage, especially when working with their own child, to create and train them in what, what I consider to be game-like environments, right? Now, um, yeah, so I felt that, yeah, again, just look at my notes. We were at a, we're at a unique disadvantage to train them in a, in what I consider to be a game-like environment. And that's effectively what the question is saying. The question is saying, my child is in this game-like situation. I perceive there to be a weakness there and how, and what can I do in the program to help them with this game-like situation? It's improving this game-like situation. At 10, I still feel like they got a lot of technical work to do. That may not be the case, Let's move that to the side and just say, hey, you know, they are a little messy out there, but they just, it's just not clicking. So first, let me define, uh, give some of the components of a game-like situation that I use. This is not an exhaustive list again, but this is sort of how I think about it, because I think in order to actually improve this behavior that you're seeing in the games in the way that would be effective, I think these components need to be in place. So remember that a game like in a drill is just a microcosm of a game. So in this case, the microcosm would be the child is in a tight situation and they need to they need to understand how to evade it. So to create a game like environment, first you have to have some lesson, some 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 lesson that you are trying to that you that you have in your head as to why you're creating the, the game. Right. So that's the first thing. So in this case that you can check that box, the, the lesson or the idea that you want to um, um, bestow upon the child is to evade tight spaces or navigate tight spaces. And then that lesson has to be transformed into an objective for the child. So if we think military terms like conquer this uh, flag, it has to be get to the other side, you know, keep the ball. There has to be some objective now that the child understands, right? or the player, right? And that objective, in my opinion, should have some measurable reward. So we keeping the ball for five seconds, or we are getting past these two defenders to get to the other side, or we are receiving the ball in tight space and then we got to release the ball again. Um, or part of what we're trying to do is release the ball. If we can release the ball three times, we can receive three passes and release it, we, we win. Something to that effect. There has to be some measurable um, reward that's associated with this objective that you want them to accomplish. To me, in order to be game-like, there must be a, some opposition. So um, within any time soccer training, for example, in order to really recreate this, you're going to have to bring in other kids, in my opinion. 
And then there also needs to be a decision, right? So, <laughs> so often, so, so you let's say that I had a box and I have three kids in it and my son and three defenders and my son, which I actually just did that, did this in the drill, just the uh, a tagging game just the other day. Well, if I don't, if if the goal of the game is just for my son to keep the ball for 30 seconds and keep the other kids from taking the ball, that's in a very important drill, but there's no decision made, decision that's uh, at play. And so therefore, I believe that my son can artificially try to keep the ball in a way that he would not do if there was a in a game situation, because people would tell him and his teammates would tell him, bro, you got three people on you, release the ball and get into space. So I'm just creating something that's artificial, which is just a technical op, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, a technical drill with opposition. But the problem is, I mean, well, not the problem. The good thing is that's going to help the child to um, um, uh, practice, right, and get muscle memory and all that kind of stuff about around keeping the ball when you have a lot of defenders around. You. So in my son's case, for example. He would work on shielding. I kind of talked to him about how to use your body and that kind of stuff. Just do whatever you got to do to keep the ball. But that's not going to translate into a game in the way that I would that we I would ideally need it to be, because there's no decision there, right? He, there's no choice. Where in a game, there's always going to be a a decision. And so, what you perceive your child is doing in a game you have to remember that there are other things fleeting through their head very quickly that they could be doing. If you created, if you, if the game was to keep the ball and not lose it, you probably will see a different uh, degree of performance. So there must be a decision. And then I feel like there must be um, some consequences, right? So there must be consequences to not achieving this objective. So the objective could be the score, right? That could be a measurable thing. And then the, to have the ball dispossessed or the other team score is a consequence. So I think all those things need to be in place. So if you were to say to me, Neil, um, how would you use the program to help in this situation? In short, I would admonish you to say, hey, am I really accessing this? Uh, am I really evaluating the situation correctly? I mean, really deeply think on that. And if the answer to that is yes, then here's my tips. Number one, with my sons, I uh, looked at broad themes that I wanted them to accomplish over the year. And, the, and so there would only be one or two things. So for my younger son right now, it's, it's uh, working on his non-dominant foot, using his non-dominant foot. So that was last year's theme. And I'm adding another one. So now it's going to be two themes. And for him, is keep possession. Now, I know my coaching folks out there are going to, you know, the hackles in their back of their neck are, are um, standing up because they want the player to take risks and blah, blah, blah. Well, for me, with my sons, I can only speak for myself. I did this with my older son as well. The number one rule for us is to keep the ball. Don't lose the ball. Do not lose the ball. Once you get to the point where you don't lose the ball, and there are a lot of reasons for that, then we slowly start taking on more and more risk. Now, this is, by the way, 
in any part of the pitch except the final third. In the final third, you have to do what you got to do. Don't lose the ball. But the point is, um, that's going to be a theme for the next 365 days. It's not going to be a situation where I see something he needs to work on and tomorrow I'm going to go out there and, and start hammering him on that. And then next week I see something I think, oh, he, I, he need to work on that. Because I personally, I have felt like that's uh, over. You can handle it however you want. But my, what I have seen is it's, it's overkill and um, a, a lot of the things that I perceive to be issues tend to work themselves out because the child is growing and the child is in the training environment. So the first thing is I picked that one thing. So if, if getting out of tight situations is your thing, then that's the one thing. As it relates to anytime soccer training, we have a series and I'll do a video on this called tight, tight space dribbling. And within the tight space dribbling, we have um, a section that deals with turns and freestyle within the box. So what I would do is take those videos, right? Because those videos are gonna ask you to use different parts of your foot. It's gonna ask you to make different turns within that box. I would create boxes that are relatively tight. And ideally I would get other kids and I would have a couple of kids in the box trying to take the ball from my child and a couple of kids or at least one or two kids in yourself outside of the box, right? And my child in the in the and I would have to make up my own rules. So the rule could be you have to touch, you have to get at least five touches in the end um, before you can make a pass to someone outside of the box. Someone outside of no, the kids on the inside of the box, the defenders cannot take the ball. They can't leave the box. So those people are free and then you have to receive the ball again. And so that would be an example where we're working on these tight, tight dribbling and turning and protecting the ball with the goal of eventually releasing it to uh, uh, to someone outside of the box. You could add a wrinkle to it that says, not only do you have to release the ball um, to a person outside of the box, uh, you can't release the ball to the same person uh, two times in a row. So now not only do we have to get these five touches and release the ball and receive it back, we have to get these five touches release the ball receive it back and then we got to be able to get it to the next person so those are the types of things that i would probably do if i had to use if i were using anytime soccer training i would adapt the turns video which i'll do a video on it's a the turn section there's a freestyle turning section and the tight control dribbling there's a freestyle sort of tight control dribbling section where you're working on turns within a box both of them are you're freestyling and working on a box in a box, but I will have to add defenders and then um, and then I would make it where you had to make these passes. Now, even that is not like one zillion percent game-like, but that's a little bit better, all right? And then in conclusion, uh, I'm gonna leave with two other things. Um, with my sons were well, actually, my older, younger son is your son's age. And then when my your older son was younger, around your son's age, I taught them a very simple, um, a simple algorithm that the coaching community hates. It worked for us. <laughs> so use it at your own peril. And it's very, very simple. When you receive the ball in the middle of the pitch, more than likely the space is going to be out wide. And when you receive the ball wide, more than likely the space is going to be 
in the middle of the pitch. If uh, if there's space in front of you, obviously capture the space. And if and if all else fails, just turn around and pass it back. This simple sort of algorithm that I drilled into their heads, we would talk about it on the way to the car, we work it on the backyard. This very simple algorithm um, taught them, I mean, not taught them, sorry, helped them expedite the decision-making process so that they could reflect on what was happening uh, and then create a frame of reference. So in that same drill where we talked about you might have them dribble five times and then release the ball because you want them to get used to dribbling in these tight spaces with defenders using their body to just shield and release it. Once you implement this, once you once they do that and then you explain this algorithm, it may be, hey, you only got um, about one touch or two touches before you need to release it. Because in most cases, and the, and the game is changing, in most cases, if you're anywhere outside of the final third, you know, three touches. If you're in, if you're in tight a tight space where there's a lot of defenders, you know, three three to four touches. You need to be probably getting the ball off your feet. I wouldn't even think that many. And you're going to have a lot of people who say, "Hey, let the kids do whatever they want." Blah blah blah. And that and that's fine. I mean, it's, to me, it's, there are no wrong answers. But I'm just saying the modern game is going into the direction of, you know, get the ball in space. And once you get the ball in the space, that's when you um, do your one v ones. You you you're you're extremely creative. When you get the ball in tight situations, you're trying to get the ball out of that tight situation as quickly as possible. And the faster they understand that, uh, I feel like the less they're going to lose the ball. And the less they lose the ball and keep possession, the more opportunities they're going to have for this experience. And so, and then the final thing gets into, all right, well, what am I actually paying the coach for or the club for? So, of course, you're paying them for some non-soccer stuff, right? And people talk about that all the time. You want people who are nice to your kids, who motivate your kids, all that kind of stuff. Of course, you're talking to them about non-soccer stuff, soccer stuff, paying them for non-soccer stuff. But in terms of what you're actually paying, well, at least what I am actually paying for my, um, at least my older son's club for, is to create these game-like environments that to address each component of the game and step in to give relevant instruction to improve behaviors, which lead to um, improved uh, on-field performance. So if you don't see that happening in the club environment, that's an opportunity where you can step in and, uh, and try your best to find somewhere that's doing that. So, uh, and if they're not going to do it, then I definitely recommend you coach and then you can create some of these uh, situations for yourself. For example, at my older son's club, they do a lot of rondos, like many clubs do rondos, but their rondos, I have noticed because they, they train on the same facility as other clubs, their rondos start off so small and so tight that it forces, in my opinion, forces the kids to have to uh, make quicker decisions, have a better first touch, move the ball faster, which is in, which is consistent to their philosophy and the way they want the game to be played. And you can have other clubs; um, they want more in. They they view you. Can, they feel like you can get those same results by doing other things. That's totally fine. 
but my preference is to start these rondos in this particular example very tight uh as opposed to what i have what i see in the neighboring clubs they'll do the same similar rondo drills but they're so big and no kid is going to be able to fend in that in that larger space that to me it's just a, it's just too easy and it's that small little detail that you that i look at in this particular case so I don't know if this was helpful, but in conclusion, most parents get it wrong when they're assessing their own kid. So I really, really implore you without even knowing your personal situation to take a step back and decide if this is the area that you want to focus on. They over, they over, um, they overestimate their child's strengths and they also overestimate their weaknesses. Assuming that is that you have done that and you spot on what they need to work on, then in my opinion, you pick one or two things and you work on that for the whole year. And that's a combination of what you do uh, with any time and then what, and what you add to it. When there's something specific that I want my children to work on that's not neatly in a program like any time because it's really designed for individual trainers, individual uh, training, I'll add things like defenders or other objectives. And in this case, I would use the tight dribbling, which I'll show you where they're doing the freestyle uh, in a box, and the turns where they're doing freestyle in the box to um, encourage the child with additional children, encourage the child or yourself to keep the ball in those tight spaces. But it's important to understand that keeping the ball in tight spaces in a game environment is mental and technical, right? And the way that I help my children from the mental perspective is a simple algorithm. You receive the ball in the middle, the space is going to be wide. You receive the ball wide, the space is going to be in the middle. Um, obviously, you capture the space in front of you. And if there's space behind you, take that space. And I'm beating a dead horse to say, hey, once they got that through their heads, what appeared to be difficult situations for my sons became very, very easy for them relative to the other kids. And, be, and then the more and more they kept the ball without losing possession, despite our coaches telling us they want creative players who take risks, the more and more they were able to keep the ball without losing possession, the more and more opportunities they got to keep the ball without losing possession. And this excludes the final third where, and some people call this the creative part of the pitch, where you want the child to take risks and create chances. And then finally, um, we ideally want, because parents have a unique advantage to create these types of situations, we ideally want a, a coach and a club that, that creates this for us. And if they are not able to do that in the way that you would like, um, I strongly recommend you coach. Another thing I did was I put my child in Hispanic leagues and teams where I had friendly relationships with the coach. And I explained to the coach that um, this is what I'm trying to get out of this experience. So, you know, pass this along with, pass this along to my uh, sons. But we were, you know, we were friends. But remember, I'm bringing to my, to that coach, a child who is well-behaved, very motivated, and ridiculously technical. So it, it was an easy conversation to say in, you know, hey, this is an area that I really want him to work on. So I want you to emphasize that with him because he's not going to listen to his dad. I hope that was helpful. If you have any follow-up questions, just ping us on the social media, on the Facebook group, and I'll try my best to answer. Um, video will help as well. Let's get better together.